Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today's topic is part three of our series about rates. Today we're talking final indirect rates. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If your organization is interested in training from a team of former contracting officers, go to askskyway.com and learn more about how Skyway can help both government and industry teams with the acquisition and contract execution process. Okay, let's get started with part three, final indirect rates. This is part three of our mini-series about rates. In previous episodes, we talked about provisional billing rates. Provisional billing rates are the guardrails. You're trying to stay between not, not overcharging and not undercharging. You want to get just the right amount of rates so that you don't end up with a big bill for one party or the other at the end. Just the right amount of rates. I like the way you said that. Forward pricing rates are the second type of rates we talked about in an earlier episode, and and that's the approved guess about what your rates are going to be in the future, right? Yeah, that's your it's your educated and agreed upon guess. <laughs> and the third kind of rates we're going to talk about are final rates. Now, like I said, this is part three. There's probably about a hundred other episodes we could do just about nuances of rates, but for now, this is a mini series with three parts, and today we're going to talk about final rates. Before we do that, let's stop and say thanks. I say thanks this week to Charles Simon. He's a contracts manager at the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. And so thanks for sharing our content and liking it on LinkedIn, because the best way for people to find this information that we're giving away for free is for people to share it on places like LinkedIn. Thanks, Charles. Okay, final rates. In English, what is a final rate? A final rate means an indirect cost rate applicable to a specific past period, which is based on the actual cost of the period. So you have a fiscal year for your company. And when you get to the point that you understand what your actual costs were for that year, now you can do all the calculations to figure out what were your actual indirect costs. Final rates aren't subject to adjustment. Thus the term final. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like they're... they're <laughs> They're subject to adjustment until they're final. It's probably the better way to say that. Right. And when they're final, that, that I actually put that in our, in our notes. A final rate is not subject to adjustment. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> now, it's not sort of final or almost final. It's final. Once you get to final rates, you can then use that final indirect cost rate to adjust the, the indirect cost that you've claimed throughout the year. Remember, it's like you, like you said, we're, we have an approved guess for what our costs are going to be. And during the year, we're trying to adjust our provisional billing rates up and down as, as our guess gets better of what the final rates are going to be. And the risk is if we guess too high, contractor owes the government money at the end. If we guess too low, the government owes the contractor money, and we don't want that to happen. Just like we talked about in the first of these three series, it, it's like your tax withholding. These rates are the, 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 the holding on your taxes. You don't want to withhold so much that you give the government a tax-free loan for you know five digits but you don't want to withhold nothing and then the government's going to send you a big old bill <laughs> right here and so you're trying to balance this to somebody's going to end up owing somebody money it's just you don't want it to be like a crippling amount <laughs> a crippling amount the other analogy we used is we need to know where we're driving to the destination we're heading to is the the final rate but that destination may change as things happen during the year. So remember, we're we're guessing the destination through the the forward pricing rates and the and the provisional billing rates. 
and, and some of the examples you used last time where you may have won a contract that you didn't expect to win or you lost a contract that you didn't that you did expect to win or you all of a sudden health insurance got more expensive you know pick a thing there are lots of things that that cause those rates to hop around exactly and final rates are ta-da we're here we've arrived it, it took us exactly one year to to get here right the the rates are the encapsulation of your costs for a specified period, your your fiscal year. We're here. Now we have to figure out exactly how far did we drive to get here? How much gas did we use? How much did we pay for each gallon of gas along the way because we stopped different times at different gas stations? How many frappuccinos did we buy? <laughs> right. How much right. caffeine did we right. use? So add all that up and you get to your destination, which is your final rates. And things like needing an extra tire for the for the trip that you didn't plan for, which is why we had these provisional billing rates, et cetera. Right. We didn't know how many tires we were going to need. We might have budgeted. We might have planned that we were going to have to replace all four tires along the way, and we didn't have to replace any. So let's get out of the analogies and jump into the FAR, which is not fun like analogies at all. (laughs) Woohoo! FAR time. 42.702 describes the purpose of final rates. And it says establishing final indirect cost rates under this subpart provides uniformity of approach with a contractor when more than one contract or more than one agency is involved. The uniformity of this is that only one agency has to come up with these final rates and everybody else can use them, which leads to the second one, which is 42.702A2 says that establishing final indirect cost rates provides for economy of administration. Government only has to do this once. And the funniest part of this is 42.702A3 says that establishing final indirect cost rates provides for timely settlement under cost reimbursement contracts. And I would like to take issue with their use of the word timely in this part (laughs) of the FAR. That's one of those terms that, well, relative to, I don't know, when the earth cooled, <laughs> right. If we're talking about the Jurassic period, <laughs> you know, exactly. we're talking about that as timely. Well, yeah, then we, we were pretty timely settling cost reimbursement contracts. It's, if it's, we're talking about the lifespan of the average human, it's not very timely. It should say relatively timely or something like that. Uh, or untimely settlement. Uh, all right. <laughs> off that, off that soapbox. soapbox. Ready to move on? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next part of the FAR. 42.705 is actually called final indirect cost rates. And it says final indirect cost rates shall be established on the basis of either one, contracting officer determination, or two, auditor determination. And we're going to talk about each of those. First, let's talk about what do you do with these final rates once you get them? 42705B tells you what you do with them. You're the contractor. Let me give you a scenario. You have a contract that lasted for two years. When that contract is over with, it's going to take some period of time until the contractor can close their their fiscal year that that covered the last year of performance of that contract. So once once they've done that, uh, six months to a year later, the contractor submits their, their final indirect cost proposal to the government. At that point... They have 120 days to submit a completion invoice that reflects the, the settled amounts, the, those final rates. So this is where you're supposed to say, hey, based on my calculations for my actual cost for the year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit a true-up invoice within 120 days. 
that gets us as close as possible to what our final costs are. And to keep this timely, <laughs> that's the theory, right? 42705C1 says, if the contractor fails to submit a complete completion invoice or voucher within the time specified, which is 120 days you talked about, the contracting officer may make a determination and issue a unilateral modification. In other words, make the decision and move out. <laughs> that there's that's that's a part of the FAR. I don't I don't think I ever exercise that, but yeah, that's that's what happens on the 121st day. The contracting officer can say, and we're done. So remember, this part is not contract closeout. This is once we get final rate. So we're trying to adjust within 120 days after we have that final rate proposal. We're trying to adjust things to get as close as possible to what it is so that we don't leave any money hanging in either direction. We're trying, remember. Okay, back to how do we determine final rates. This is still 42705-1. Remember we said it's either the contracting officer determines them or the auditor determines them. How do we know who does this? 42705-1A tells us that the contracting officer makes a determination for final rates if there are business units of a multi-divisional corporation under the cognizance of a corporate administrative contracting officer, so a CACO or a CACO is what everyone abbreviates it to. <laughs> Acronyms. Or if business units of that multi-divisional corporation don't have a CACO, they might have a resident administrative contracting officer. And, and I've seen those on contracts where I was trusting my the administrative contracting officer who was in the building they were watching all this stuff, which you know meant that I did, didn't really have to. If a company has business units that aren't under the cognizance of a CACO or a resident ACO, then the contracting officer can decide whether or not they're going to settle the rates or an auditor will do it. There's a couple other areas where the contracting officer would make the final rate determination. That's with educational institutions or nonprofits. But the gist of this is the contracting officer makes a determination, usually for really big and complicated final rate determinations. In this part, we're talking about business units of a multi-divisional corporation, so that's usually pretty big, right? You're definitely talking about large businesses, in quotes, but you may be talking about enormous publicly traded names you recognize. I mean, that's, <laughs> right. yeah, this, this isn't something that small businesses should get sucked into unless they're a subcontractor on a proposal that turns into a contract that affects this, in which case they may get pulled in five years later <laughs> to say, hey, you were the one that bought, you know, the Frappuccinos on the road trip. So we need your receipts to make sure that's actually allowable cost. <laughs> Just saying that happened once. I like how you said enormous business that I, I wonder, is there is there a small business, large business and then enormous business category? That's funny. So when the contracting officer is going to make a final rate determination here, how does that happen? Still in the FAR, there's a clause in your contracts, 52216-7, called Allowable Cost and Payment. And that's where it says that the contractor is required to submit an adequate final indirect cost rate proposal to the contracting officer or cognizant federal agency official and to the auditor. This is what we've been talking about. Contractor submits their final indirect cost rate proposal. And what's in that proposal it varies according to how, how big of a company you are, what kind of accounting system you have, business type. FAR actually says the contractor, the contracting officer, and the auditor must work together to make the proposal, audit, and negotiation process as efficient as possible. 
That sounds easy, right? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> all three of them are motivated to get this done around the rest of what they're doing. Right. It's again, the far says efficient. It, they're they're trying to remind you. Timely. Yeah, we're 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 doing government contracting here, so of course it's going to be efficient. <laughs> That's the funniest quote of the day, right there. So each contractor is required to submit their final indirect cost rate proposal within six months following the end of your fiscal year. Some big companies don't use the calendar as their fiscal year, like like you have to do for your personal taxes. Some big companies have chosen another date for a fiscal year. For example, my company starts its fiscal year on 1 July and ends it on 30 June. So how do we go from 120 days to six months? Because they're not the same, right? Ah, the, the 120 days we were talking about before comes after this. So contractors' fiscal year ends. They have six months to crunch all the numbers and prepare a final indirect cost rate proposal. Once you get that proposal submitted, then you have 120 days to submit a final invoice based on those calculations that you did and included in your final rate proposal. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. We just for out of order, but that's the, the far. It's the far's fault. <laughs> the far is out of order, right? <laughs> or or maybe I just made the notes out of order. Once the government receives this final indirect cost rate proposal, here's what happens. The auditor reviews it to assess adequacy. Adequacy to support negotiation of, of final rates. The auditor then has to provide a written description of any inadequacies to the contractor and the contracting officer. So if there are inadequacies, the, the auditor and the contractor get together and try to resolve those. Hey, we need more data for this, need more data for that. It can be sort of a painful process. Once they get to where the auditor says, okay, this is adequate, then the auditor audits it and provides an audit report to the contracting officer. So the contracting officer then gets to negotiate the rates, and, it, and it's, it's including the, the auditor and possibly technical or functional personnel as well. If there are other government agencies or contracting officers that had a major stake in this, major contracts, they may bring them in too so that everyone's involved in this negotiation. But that team of government folks puts together a negotiation position, and at this point, the cognizant contracting officer conducts negotiations. And that's what I was saying before about the, the contract that I had was with a contractor that the ACO was in their building. This is what they did. They managed this. They were the contracting officer on this negotiation of the rates, but I was at the table, or was at least I was asked questions as they were building up their negotiation. And so when someone says, what's the difference between ACO and a, and a PCO, the procurement contracting officer? Well, this is one of those differences. And in some agencies, it may be the same person. Right. But when you're doing these things, what are some of the variables that you had to work through that are negotiable? I mean, it's, it sounds like the contractor would say, here's my proposal. Government says, that looks good. I, I want to change these few things. We audit it. We move on. What needs to be negotiated? Yeah, it's not, it's not always black and white. Never black and white. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. For, for a small business, the, the, the rate pools, the numbers that go into the indirect rates could be pretty straightforward. For a large business with multi-divisions or a business that has reorganized or had changes or merged or been acquired, it can get really complicated. Which costs belong in which bucket? And the government may have a different opinion than the contractor did about where costs should be and therefore what the final rate should be. So going back to the driving thing, does the Frappuccino count as a refreshment or does it count as fuel? Which, which <laughs> pool should it be in, right? It depends who you ask. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the kind of thing you might be negotiating at the end. Hopefully, 
you're not negotiating whether a cost is allowable or not. <laughs> if you could get to the point where the contractor has included a whole lot of costs that they say, oh, these are allowable, check the FAR, and the government has a different opinion about allowability and says, no, none of those costs are allowable, and therefore your rates are way different, and therefore you owe us a lot of money. Hence, hence the negotiation. Yeah. So once the negotiations are complete, the contracting officer has to prepare a written indirect cost rate agreement. And then we dust our hands and we say, we are done. We have final rates. Well, we're not done. <laughs> we're done with that step. <laughs> right. We still have to close contracts and make them go away forever. That's a, <laughs> that's a different episode. Yes. Actually, it's a couple episodes. Now, we've been talking about the contracting officer being responsible for determining final rates. Remember, there's two ways this happens. Either the contracting officer is responsible or an auditor could be responsible for it. When is an auditor responsible? Well, the easy answer is whenever the contracting officer isn't. <laughs> we went through areas. If you have a corporate ACO or a resident ACO, that person is usually responsible for determining final rates. If you don't have an ACO, well, this is FAR 42.7052. It says that the auditor shall establish final indirect cost rates for business units not covered by 42.7051A. So the the okay. other side of this that we just talked about. Stuff so, we just talked about. So if it's not that, it's the auditor. In addition, auditor determination may be used for business units that are covered by that if the contracting officer and the auditor agree that indirect costs can be settled with little difficulty and any of the following circumstances apply. So if you have primarily fixed-price contracts, if the costs of including the contracting officer would exceed the benefits, if the business unit doesn't have a history of disputes or, or cost problems, or if there's any other special circumstances that the, the contracting officer and auditor agree on, then you can go straight to the auditor. And I'll jump on, on 42705-2A to three little i. And you just mentioned that it's the, it's the business unit does not have a history of disputes and there are a few cost problems. So there's a random piece of past performance that you probably don't think about is that if your books are squared away and if the, and if the government has a history of, OK, they're, they've been doing this for, for years. They've had you know cost type contracts. They've, they've been audited. There's low risk of this being a problem. Then the contracting officer can move this, this audit determination procedure to the auditor and get it done faster. And so that's one of those things that you don't really think about as far as part of your performance is doing this poorly <laughs> creates other problems. Right, and right. Keep, keeping clean books streamlines everything in the future too. So the process when an auditor determines final rates, it's basically the same that we just talked about, except instead of the contracting officer doing all that stuff, the auditor does all that stuff. And if there's a dispute, you can always escalate it to the contracting officer to resolve that dispute. It's safe to say that the, the goal here is the auditor should be able to cover the majority of contracts and the ones that are squirrely and more unique and bigger, whatever, pick the analogy, the contracting officer can manage. But all of them do not need to be done by the contracting officer, which otherwise none of them would ever get done <laughs> just by pure volume of them. Yeah, in my experience, it's it's the auditors that are doing the, the work here. And this is one part of the government that is is sorely lacking in resources right now. I, I, don't, I don't think the government has funding for enough auditors right now. And, and I think that's why we're joking about how long it takes to get final rates negotiated sometimes. 
there's just not enough auditors to keep up with the volume of rates that need settled. And this is a specialized skill, and it's a specialized skill set, <laughs> meaning that you want to be introverted and have your head in the books, <laughs> and not all, not all contracting officers operate that way. Wow, in fact, you're a lot of the stereotyping. Job, I am. As a contracting officer, this wasn't my favorite part because I'm more extroverted, right? And so as a result, not this isn't the first thing I jump on. And so if, I, if it's part of my job, it's the last thing I'm going to jump on, which means it's going to take longer, et cetera. So your point of this is a gap in, in personnel. Right. Don't hate on the introverted auditors, though. We need them. I'm not hating on them. It's just accountants and auditors don't tend to be extroverted. And that, that's okay because most of the time they're, <laughs> the work they do isn't extroverted. We'll we'll stay out of the political correctness of of judging people, but yes, people with certain personality types are generally drawn to certain types of jobs. So all this is done now. We have our final indirect rates. What happens then? The contracting officer or the auditor has to let people know that we have final rates. And forty two seven zero six wraps this up. Distribution of documents. Contracting officer or auditor shall promptly distribute executed copies of the indirect cost rate agreement to the contractor and to each affected contracting agency and they should also stick some stick a copy in the file right <laughs> always got a file and, and this is a great example of communication is the farm mandates this is yes yeah, a shall <laughs> so the farm mandates communication so like if you're going to go through all the trouble of doing this and doing it right make sure you tell everybody you did it <laughs> so they can use those rates right let's talk time zones if it's not already obvious all of this final indirect rate stuff comes up in the wrap-up zone, the last of the execution time zones. And the execution time zones, if you're new to the podcast, are episode 84. And if you listen to episode 84, you know that the wrap-up zone can take years. Remember, the contractor has to submit their final indirect cost rate proposal within six months of the end of its fiscal year, but there isn't a requirement for when the government must complete its audit and negotiation of the final rates. It'd be, I think it'd be great if we were able to say, hey, government, you have one year or two years, otherwise the contractor's indirect, final indirect cost proposal becomes law. Boop, that's your final rates right there. It'd be really hard to enforce. The government is under-resourced for that kind of thing. But this is why it takes years to get final rates. We're talking three years, five years, seven years. It takes a long time, especially for the, the largest, the enormo businesses that you talked about before. Normo. <laughs> it can take years to get to those final rates. And the impact of that is closeouts, contract closeouts languish. They, they sit around for a long time. During that time, people turn over on both sides. Then the documentation becomes harder to find. And the whole process generally becomes harder, especially if the companies involved have been acquired or merged or, or sold or, or there's been a reorg like that. That never happens. <laughs> then, then, then the source of all those rates, it, it's different than the current and it just gets harder for people to do on both sides. For the government, the mission is done for the user. The mission is already been completed. The contract is completed. The user got what they needed, but we still have to finish this contract. Uh, there very few people are excited about this part. <laughs> um, right. You know, a lot of times this, a lot of times, like you talked about, a lot of time has passed. There could be new people coming through. A lot of things have changed. The people that were involved in the acquisition and the execution of the contract are probably long gone. I mean, they, they, they could have expired. <laughs> they could have retired. Yeah, they, they could have expired. They're all dead. No, nobody knows what happened anymore. <laughs> could have been both. Just saying. I actually had that once where the guy, you know, he, it was so long since he retired, he actually did die. But anyway. uh, <laughs> 
regardless of who's around, the current contracting officer has to get the customer to understand what's going on to, to, to potentially find the money to pay a bill. We talked about that in the Colors of Money episodes, uh, episode 19, and then the Encore at episode 43. We talked about why this becomes complicated to find the money. I mean, the smallest this problem is going to be is, is today, because the longer the cycle goes, especially we talk about the value of documentation. If, if you're not documenting everything that happened five years ago, when people go to get these final rates done, the, the challenge is just get bigger. And here's one of the catches is the money will expire. Like we talked about in that episode, when it expires, now you have to use new money. So if you obligated a million dollars on a contract five years ago, that, that money hasn't been invoiced or expended is the official term. Then that's money that's still available. But after five years, it's expired, which means now your program customer has to use new money they were planning to use to buy new things to pay off a bill that was developed when they weren't even there. Right. Like you're talking about all the people involved that, that made this problem are, are long gone, but the program office still exists. And there's new people that say, wait a second, I have to take my money for my budget that I'm trying to use to solve my mission problems to pay a bill that was incurred seven years ago. Industry cares about final rates for the, the same reasons it's on the opposite side, but the contract is done and very few people are excited to, to do the closeout part. We still have to wrap it up though. A lot of time has passed since we submit that final rate proposal. We submitted it six months after the end of our fiscal year, but now it's five or seven years later. So just like on the government side, all the people that were involved in the proposal and execution process are long gone. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are gone. Heck, the company might have been acquired three years ago, and the people that are now responsible for closing it out may have to find the records from a previous company that are in all different systems. That still happens to us. We, we have records from when the company was a small business years and years and years ago that are all stored like on Peachtree on one one computer, and there's only one person that has uh, a license and a access to that computer anymore. But that's what happens when time passes. So hopefully, industry, that you submitted that final invoice at, or, or paid credits that once you submitted your final invoice, way back when, you know, within 120 days of getting to your final rate proposal, hopefully you settled up then so that any money owed to the government now is just due to minor disallowed costs or minor negotiations so that there are no major dollar impacts. You, you just don't want a surprise years down the road. If you owe the government money because you overbilled and it's, it's years later <laughs> from when that happened, it could be really bad. You want to avoid a huge surprise expense like that. And from the, from the emotional perspective, you understand why people aren't really motivated to, to get these final rates done. Because it's one thing to say, okay, we got to look under the rock, but we're kind of thinking, ooh, there might be a really big bill under that rock. <laughs> right. That's why I said the smallest this problem is going to be is today, is because if you wait until the funds have expired and you have, you have to use new money to pay these bills, that's when it gets crippling. Whereas if, if there's money on a contract that you can pull – that just wasn't used. It's, it's that's an easier. It's it's a fiscal exercise. I get that, but that's a different problem than you know taking profit <laughs> off of your off of your bottom line to pay a bill that you didn't know about. That right. sucks. Before we sign off today, just like to reiterate again, it would be great if this whole process went a lot faster. It would be easier. There'd be less grumpy people trying to find old data and and sort all this stuff out. It'd be great if we had a way 
to do this faster. The rule set is in place to make it go fairly quickly, but I don't think that government is sufficiently incentivized to to invest the resources to to make it go faster. It's just like maintaining the roads, right? You're worried about the forest fires that are burning right now. You're not worried about repaving a road that'll be fine for another couple of years, right? You can push that away. That that's kind of the way I look at 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 closeouts and negotiating final rates. You're worried about the fires that are burning now, so it makes it easy to push it away, but boy, it would be nice if you could make those problems easier to solve by doing it quickly. And so some, something as simple as talking to your customer and say, if we don't get this done before the fifth year expires, you're going to have to use new money if there's a bill. Just educating your customer on that, the context, right? We're back to context. The context of, of the sixth year versus the fourth year, that could be the, the motivation that keeps this, this bus moving. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you need help understanding rates, Skyway Acquisition can help. Just visit askskyway.com to learn more. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. You know, like the, like, you know, apples, there, there, there's a, there's, there's a term for it. I think it's called mega corporation. Anyway, sorry. Just, just, okay. It, it would have been funny if I knew it, but I can't think. Of it <laughs> it would have been funny if it was funny, but since it wasn't, let's move on. <laughs> there you go.